0: name. Amen. Jesus make it work
1: This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of... Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family, and he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ, and of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas, on Uncommon Joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will.
2: And that is how the kingdom of God is lived in for the sake of expanding out, isn't it? Was that addition or was that by multiplication? You know, addition is 1 plus 1 equals, this is the part where you can fill in the answer because that's too (laughs) tough a math. 2. 1 plus 1 is 2. Is that a bad thing? No. The thing is, though, multiplication is 1 times 100 is what? 100. Now, we can get wrapped up into bigger numbers. It means bigger, bigger stuff. Or we can say bigger numbers represent influence, impact. Does it not? Now, just imagine if everybody here at, Lydia House, and we got what, maybe 50, maybe 60 folks here today, were to say, you know what, I'm going to take the Great Commission from Jesus very seriously. And where he said, I want you to go now, and I want you to make disciples, which is what? Followers of me, of all nations. And then you, can't, you can't reach the nations one at a time. I know it sounds really religious, and a lot of pastors have said, we're going to do this one person at a time, and everyone says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, very religious sounding. But friends, it, it hasn't worked, it isn't working, and it won't work in the future. So maybe, just maybe, we ought to take Jesus' word and multiply ourselves. You know, when he said, i got to go to his disciples, i got to die, they didn't like it. But he says, I can't expand beyond 12 or 72 or even 172. I must die because when I die, then I'll be able to release the Holy Spirit. And when you, you receive the Holy Spirit, now I'm going to multiply myself. That's called the body of Christ. It's not just Jesus in his body, but us in his now called the church. That's what it means to be living in faith and expanding it out. That's what it means to be a church of multiplication and not just addition." We can do that. Now, with that, friends, I want to say a good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lydia House. Yeah? To the uh, disciples, the multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ. As Paul said, my name is Dan Kleitz. And, uh, and, I, and I did my best to do some multiplication here myself. I brought my dear friend uh, Dick Reed. He's sitting in the back there. He came along today. My wife Joanne, our oldest daughter uh, Brianna, and our, our grandson Braden. Now, Brianna's uh, husband cannot be here today, Cullen, because he's back at the, at the fort, if you will, back at the church that we started 10 years ago. Because talk about multiplication, he joined the family like 10 years ago when he was 17 in the dating thing. Now, uh, Brianna and Colin have been married for four years, and he's already, at age 27, a leader in our congregation. Now, why is that? Because the point of uh, starting Rejoice Church in Northfield, Minnesota, was not just to have a nice little club and say, well, we've reached our quota. We, we call ourselves a church now. We're acting very religious. Our whole point was at Rejoice was to multiply ourselves. to have impact not just inside a church building, but even greater things outside the church building as well. And so that was my calling to lead that church for 10 years as not only the planter, but the developer of a multiplication mentality. About nine years ago, when we were just a brand new church, Paul and Karen Anderson graced us by coming to, to, to rejoice, to visit, and I think they even shared a few words. But they also, at the end of the service, shared a prophetic word that to this day, I not only remember it, but our congregation does. And they said, your influence will be greater than your numbers rejoice. You're a brand new church and your influence will be greater than your numbers. And right away it resonated in my soul. That's it. That's from God. Because how do we know what a great number is? Having 200 in church? Having 500 in church? But we do know this. Impact is what we're supposed to be about. And when Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. And so to this day, that's part of our DNA. Thank you for delivering that prophetic word from God through you, into us, and now into the community of Norfield and and certainly beyond. About five months ago, the Lord gave me a new job, uh, a new calling, a a new task. And it's so huge that uh, if I pull out a scorecard, I, I say to myself, I am losing this battle. I am now the coordinator for new ministry development for the LCMC. That's a a national thing. Not just Minnesota, but a national coordinator for developing church plants through the LCMC. Those initials stand for Lutheran Congregations in Mission for Christ. Now, we know the Lutheran word is important because it's about standing on the word. It's about receiving the cross of Jesus Christ. And congregations is certainly important, right? Because that is the body of Christ. But the next two words are are crucial. What does it mean to be a Lutheran congregation? We have to be, we have to be, in order to be disciples, missionaries in and for Christ. Missionaries in Christ. And so the purpose of the LCMC is not to make more LCMC churches. We have 800-some throughout the world. We could just settle back and say, "Ah, good enough. So it's not about more Lutheran numbers or more, even more people in worship, as, as great as that would be. But the point of, of why I've been called to this position is a way bigger godly goal, and that is to develop people to see themselves as disciples, followers of Jesus. And when that happens, then I'm supposed to disciple somebody else. Now, I've traveled around the country already in five months, and one of my biggest challenges to folks is, you might be doing really good things in your church, but... Are you discipling anybody right now? And a lot are like, oh my gosh, I just come to church for me, maybe my family, my friends, but, but wait a minute here. To be Christian means to multiply myself, which is exactly what Jesus did. And now he says, I want you to do what I did. See, that's what a disciple does. He shows others to do what you did, even as you're following the good shepherd. But in order for this to happen, in order for us to have a new paradigm, in order for us to have the freedom to really believe that's true and then actually do it, we're going to have to get rid of the old scorecard that all of us have been using for a long time and replace it with a brand new scorecard. Mm-hmm. Now, there's two kinds of scorecards. One is a worldly scorecard, and we all know what that is because we use them all the time. How much money do you make? How big is your title? Where, where do you live? How many people do you have in your family? You know, that, we, we, you know, were you a champion at that sport? How good are your grades? What, 4-0? Oh, 2-0. We love to measure those things all the time because it either makes us feel really good about ourselves or helps us feel good about ourselves by putting someone else down. Now, the big numbers are always the key. And if you're a Twins fan like I am, you know one of their big problems is they're not scoring enough runs on the scorecard. And if they did, they would rise up in the standings of the Major League Baseball and more people would pay attention to them and say, look how great the Minnesota Twins are. The scorecard does not lie. Look at all the wins they've got going for them. But instead, you know, they don't get as much of attention because their scorecard isn't showing so well. See, in a worldly type of thinking like that, it's all about the show. The cross is to be avoided because the cross is loss. The cross represents dying to myself. Not being raised up and look at me in my trophies, but instead, die to myself and look, look at all the trophies everyone else is getting around me. We don't like that in the world, do we? On any level. But then the other scorecard is one that the Bible talks about, one that the Spirit wants to give us. And the church would be really well off if we begin using this scorecard, and that is the kingdom scorecard, where the cross is now boss. Numbers are important still. Numbers are always important. Why? Because numbers represent people, and people are important. But it's not just about show. It's about we want people so we have more to tell. Does that make sense? It's not show, but it is tell. The cross is not loss. It is gain. The world doesn't understand that. Only, only someone who... Uh, is grabbing hold of a kingdom scorecard and using a pen that has Jesus' signature on it will ever understand that if you want to rise up, says Jesus, you must first die to self. Now that's called incarnational. We've heard that word before. In Christ, Christ in me. right? And, there's, and, and remember I said that Jesus himself said, you know, you're going to do greater things than I when I die and give you the Holy Spirit. Because then my body will go just beyond my single body and it will be called the church body. It's all about expansion, it's all about multiplication, it's all about influence. Numbers are important, but your influence is greater than your numbers. See, when we're walking incarnationally, there's gonna be a light that shines out of us. There's gonna be a transformation of how you, the language you use and what you do and how you treat people, and when that happens, folks are gonna take notice. You'll begin to make disciples, why? Because you're so smart, you're so great, well, only because you're following Christ. That makes you smart, and that makes you great. And people say, Wow, I thought Christians were, uh, were takers, but you're a giver. I thought Christians were judgmental, but you, you don't do that to me. You listen. I thought Christians had always were arrogant and thought they always had the answers and were shoving it down our throats, telling us how dumb we are or that we're lost. But you seem to be different. You seem to be meeting me where I'm at, serving me. And, and now suddenly... My life has changed because I'm around you. I want to follow you. They have no idea that you're following Christ yet, but they will. And when that happens, that's when there's the need for the church. The church will naturally be formed. Now, a lot of church planters, and again, that's what I am. I'm a coach for church planters. A lot of times we think, well, when do we get our building? As soon as someone calls me and says, can I get some money to build a building? I go, no, we're going to build some momentum. We're going to build some discipleship. We're going to build a missionary heart. And then, maybe then, we need a building. That's, well, oftentimes, let's build a building, put a sign on it, ring the bell, and people will just flock to that building. No, they don't. What are they flocking to? Change lives. People that they see are real and relevant. Loving. Why? Because we're incarnation. In my own flesh, I'm not going to be very loving. But in Christ, I'm changed. People want to follow that. One of the key things that, what do you want to call them? Pre-believers, un-Christian, bored Christian, whatever you want to call them. You know what they say? The number one thing that they want from us, disciples, is not a lecture, is not being preached at, not being told that we're, they're going to hell. We do that really well, unfortunately. They want to be listened to. Can you at least listen to me? And friends, if we listen to them, I'll tell you what's going to happen. They're going to tell us the answers. They're going to tell us what's really hurting inside of them. And then, and then, and then, we will know how to address it far better. So the key is serving them. Take away that mentality of that I'm a project to you and you just want to save me so you can put a notch on your own belt. That's the worldly scorecard. Right, all right. Here's an example. Let's say there's a church down the street, and I'm not talking about substance. I've been there, but but let's say there's another church down the line. Seven hundred people worshiping this morning. Boy, that looks impressive. Even when the to the church, it looks impressive. When the church is using a worldly scorecard, seven hundred people. Wow! And then what do a lot of pastors do? I only have fifty in my church. I guess I'm not as good a pastor as that. What are we doing wrong? Gosh, I wish we were like them. Let's say they had 700 and they were worshiping and they're being equipped and it was just a great, and the budget, you know, it doesn't matter because people are giving to that budget. Programs, doesn't matter. They got all sorts of people coming to programs. Very impressive on paper. But what if out of that 700 on a Sunday morning, only seven are taking what they received on Sunday morning and living it out Monday morning in the marketplace? See, the, kingdom's, the worldly scorecard doesn't really look at that because it's not on the church calendar. So they can't really see the impact you are having. So we've got to measure things that we can understand. Worship attendance or numbers of programs or numbers of people going through programs or how much money we are receiving. And there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but without any impact, the worldly scorecard is just, it just looks good. It's show. But we want tell. Lydia House, here's our calling. There's 50-60 of us. Let's say out of that 50-60 that received this message today, tomorrow morning on Monday, 70 of you are beginning to live out your faith in the marketplace in a brand new way. 70? Yeah, somehow between right now and tomorrow morning, you've expanded yourselves already. And and no one's gonna, you know, no one in the church is gonna say, Oh, we gotta write that down so we can take credit for it. You are going to be the marketplace minister. You're gonna be that that's your sphere of calling. That is your influence. Who's going to see it? The Lord's going to see it. That's, that's, a, that's a multiplication mentality. You're not going to get credit for it in the world's standards, but I tell you, the kingdom of God is rejoicing. Right? Now, there's that mentality that we have to break. So it's not about being religious. It's about being in a relationship with Jesus on a daily impact. All right? Up on the screen, you'll see something. Here's a calling upon Lydia House to be a disciple-making church that makes disciples, disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples, that what? Impact the world. Change the world. And you might be saying, but Pastor Dan, we can't change the world. We're just a little house church here in Minnesota, just a little tiny sliver of the world. You know, what good can we possibly ever do? And my response to that would be, Who told you that lie? Certainly wasn't Jesus. Here's what his word says John chapter 8, 31 through 32. Jesus says, Abide in my word. That is, connect to me. Trust me. Follow me. Because when you do, already now something great is going to happen. You won't have to rely on how smart you are or how strong you are or or how much money you have. You're going to get to be able to rely on me. And then you'll truly be my disciples. So being a disciple is not about how much knowledge I can have about Jesus, as good as that might be. It is, am I or am I not going to abide in his word? Trust him. And when that happens, something multiplies. The truth begins to come out. The truth of what? The real purpose of life the real purpose of of your job. Now, I know the worldly scorecard says, "You you can't be a pastor at your job. They won't allow that to happen. That's what the worldly scorecard says. And if you want to believe that, you're going to have zero impact. If you have a kingdom scorecard saying, you can't tell me what I am and what I'm not. I am who I am, says Jesus. I'm in him. Now you're going to have an impact in wherever you go. And then something else happens after you know the truth. It's going to set you free. Free from what? Again, from the bondage, from the slavery of the world. Now, I know this as good as anybody here. Because even just last week, my wife Joanne had to, had to counsel me. She had to minister to me because I had one of those moments where I'm like, I can't do this job. It's too huge. It's daunting. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. I can't, I can't spread myself around. Oh, and you want to know why? Because I was using the worldly scorecard. But then, because of a ministering time, whether she knows it or not, I, wait a minute, i got to practice what I preach. <laughs> and i got to get rid of that worldly scorecard that was only putting me in bondage. I was not free. I was, I was a slave to it. And what does a slave do? Whatever the world tells it to do. So I wasn't having a whole lot of fun. But in freedom of the truth, it's fun. Lord, this is ultimately your problem, and you've given me the privilege to be a part of what you're going to do. So, Father, would you give me the patience? Would you give me the wisdom? Would you give me the courage to just go one step at a time in faith and become a multiplier? And suddenly, there you go, right? Disciples of Christ are free because they're dead to the world. The world cannot tell a dead man what to do. right? But So when he was telling me what to do last week, I wasn't dead. I was very much alive in the world. But when I die to the world, there's only one thing that can tell me what to do because there's only one thing that can raise a dead person, and that is the breath of God. So there you go. If I'm dead to the world, it can't hold me in bondage anymore, and I'm free in Christ. The truth that sets you free, that's how you become my disciple. So let me join you in declaring today, that as missionaries in Christ, we are going to start keeping score with a kingdom scorecard. And we're going to rip up those worldly scorecards. And I know that's hard because it's been entrained into us. We, I mean, you've got like six, seven scorecards in your pocket right now. And that's where Lydia House can help each other, we encourage each other, support each other. You know, whatever it takes to say, would you pull that worldly scorecard out and rip it up? Die to that? And it's like, oh, you know what? Thank you, friend. Thank you. That's what my wife did for me last week. See, the trouble is we're all guilty. We're all guilty of carrying those worldly scorecards with us. And they do two things to us. A worldly scorecard will either puff us up. You're the best, Dan. You don't need God. You don't need anybody. You just go on your own. Or it does the opposite. It tears me down. Dan, you are no good, and you'll never be any good. Why do you even bother? That's what a worldly scorecard does. Compare and contrast to somebody else. And neither of those elements from the worldly scorecard are from God. Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 17, do not love the world or the things of the world. In other words, don't love how the world keeps score of who you are and who you belong to, how important you are or how not important you are. When we trust the worldly scorecard and we're in love with it, we're not trusting Jesus. When we're not trusting Jesus, we're not able to stay abiding in him, and then we're not able to be a disciple. And if we're not a disciple, we're not following him. We're not following him. We have no idea where we're going, and we're still in bondage to the world. And the truth is not able to set us free. But anyone, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, worldly scorecards, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world, with all of its great trophies, is passing away with all its desires. So we might get wrapped up in saying, how much money I make. Look how big a car I have. Look at my beautiful mansion. Look at the title they've been given me at, at my job. Boy, I'm important. And here today, and gone tomorrow. The worldly scorecard can really make you feel good today. But ultimately... Ultimately, someone else comes along and says, I want to take your place. You, have you realized that? You're the, you're the NFL champion, the Super Bowl champion, and you're champion for what? A couple months. And then all of a sudden, everybody else is coming after you now. Constantly. Constantly. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Not just a little time, but forever. How do you abide in God? Listen to his son. Let me tell you a little fun story. Joanne and I, a couple months ago, we were in Orlando for a conference that I was a part of, and we went out to play mini golf. We're not golfers, but we like to, we like to putt around. You know, We just have fun as a family doing that. And on this particular day, Joanne was on a roll. I mean, she could not miss. She was banking that little ball off the bricks and off the walls, and they're going right in the hole. I'm like, come on. For me, it was just the opposite. I was rusty, so I wasn't getting pars, par twos, I was getting like bogey threes or, or fours. And so about first six holes into this you know, crucial game of mini golf, Joanne had jumped out to like a huge lead on me. And you could just see the worldly scorecard come o- over both of us. She was really feeling good. She was going to beat her husband, Dan. She would never been able to do that before. She was experiencing some success. And that felt really good. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But what does it do next? It either builds you up or it tears you down. It always goes too far. For me, it went the other way. It was tearing away at my male ego pride. I mean, I love my wife, but I can't have her beat me in mini golf. <laughs> Someone's going to ask for my, not only my scorecard, but my man card. I was really worried about that. So what did I do? Sort of. <laughs> I began to just, you know speak into her ear like, are you really sure you know what you're doing here? I mean, you've never played like this ever. This is the hottest you've ever been. There's no way you can keep this up. You know that I'm going to, you know, that that's called trash talk in sports, right? And I was trash talking. So what do you suppose happened in the end when we tallied up the scorecard? I had won. Yeah, yeah. But instead of playing like the Los Angeles Angels, I had played more like the New Jersey Devils, right? You guys have heard that scripture before that where Jesus said, what good does it do a man to, to gain the whole world and lose his soul? My scorecard, our scorecard, should have read this. Joanne and I are married. We love each other, and Jesus is a part of our lives. And so whether we're playing mini golf or doing something really, really serious, it doesn't matter. We are a team, and we win together, and we lose together. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. And and, and the worldly scorecard can be fun, but it's fleeting in just that moment. And church, that's the same calling upon us. We are to be a, a marriage in Christ, incarnationally. And we're to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We don't say, ooh, too bad for that church. I guess they suck. We're way better than them. Too bad for them. Obviously, they're not doing as well as us. So rip up that worldly scorecard. It's nothing but a, a temporary lie anyway, whether it puffs us up or tears us down, and instead receive that which Jesus died for. He died so that we could have not a kingdom scorecard, or a worldly scorecard, but a kingdom scorecard. One that when we abide with him, lasts. what was that scripture? Forever. Yeah. But we know Satan won't quit. He'll, he'll do the trash talking thing. He'll come into Lydia house and he'll say, are you really sure that you guys are a legitimate church? I mean, you're meeting in a house. And, you know, that's, are you really sure Jesus died for you? Are you really sure that you're even good enough for that to happen? And when we allow him to come in here and dictate worldly scorecards, it will keep us from multiplication. Now, Satan could care less if any church worships on a Sunday morning. He, could, he, he, he doesn't care. There's a thousand people inside a building worshiping just so long we don't take it to the streets on Monday. Because in a way, we're mocking God. We're saying, we love you. We trust you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. And we sing Kumbaya and hold hands and we're really feeling good about things inside this building. But we don't dare take it outside, for goodness sakes. And it's Satan's way of saying, see, God, they say you love they, 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 they say they love you, but they don't have the faith to take it out of the building. See how we're going to cancel that? Rip up the worldly scorecard and say, Lord, would you help us hold on to that kingdom scorecard? John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have times when you win and times when you lose. right? Times when you feel really good about yourself. Times when you don't feel so good. But take heart. Ultimately, I, I have overcome the world. My victory is now your victory by faith. So instead of saying, well, the bigger building, the bigger budgets, the more programs we have equals better pastors, better churches, how about we take the kingdom scorecard and says, no matter how big we are in numbers, great is our influence. And when our influence is great, our numbers will multiply. Because our kingdom scorecard says, Jesus wins. And when we follow him, we win too. Amen? Look at the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 20. Story about uh, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he looks out and he sees two brothers, Simon, who will eventually be called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. The reason they're doing this is because they are fishermen, and that's what fishermen do. One, pull it in. Two, pull it in. Three, constantly doing this. It can't be a whole lot of fun. It has to be really hard. They're working in the world trying to make a living. And Jesus breaks into that seemingly mundane moment, that seemingly moment of, well, this is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives, so better get used to it. And he says, gentlemen, follow me. I'm going to make you Fishers of men. And the Bible says immediately they dropped their nets and they followed him. So what did they do? They dropped their worldly scorecards that said this is as good as it gets. This is all there is to life. My, my job is the most important thing to me and there's nothing else going on. They dropped their worldly scorecards. You see, the reason why that was important is because these guys were probably rabbi rejects. When you get to be 12 or 13 in the Hebrew faith, the local rabbis say, you know what? I'm picking, you know, I'm picking Daniel and I'm picking Abraham and you guys, you guys are going to come and you're going to hang out with us. We're going uh, to be your rabbis. You can sit at our feet and we will train you how to be holy, how to take care of the temple. The rest of you slugs, losers, pretenders and posers, you're going to have to be ranchers. You're going to have to be fishermen. You're going to have to be farmers. Oh, but these guys are special. They're holy. They're inside the temple. And Jesus breaks that thanks be to God for all of us and says, I'm the temple, and I'm your seminary training. I'm your rabbi, and I'm inviting you, yes, you, dear fishermen, to follow me. Wow, that's speaking to everybody here, isn't it? Everybody here? Multiply by fishing. So instead of just throwing out the net and catching some fish, they're going to throw out the net and not catch one person at a time but impact an entire community, eventually the world. Let's break that down real quick. Number one, Jesus said, I want you to follow me. It's an invitation that we can choose to either obey or not obey. But remember Jesus saying, you'll know you're my disciples when you abide in my word. So his word is, follow me. Can you trust me? And they did. Even though they had no idea, well, how are you going to make a living? They still dropped that worldly scorecard. Because Why? There was something about Jesus, about truth, that sets them free from perhaps a job they just weren't enjoying so much. Now, they still fished, but it had a different perspective on it now. Then he says, I want you, I'm going to make you. Jesus says, I'm going to make you. Now, how does Jesus make us do anything? With a baseball bat? Either follow me or I'm going to bash you in the head. You know, a lot of outsiders perceive us Christians as talking like that. They do. Now, we may not like it, and we may think it's not true, but their perspective is, that's how we act. So Jesus doesn't make us physically. He models for us. So he makes us by modeling for us a relationship with the Father. You know? So it's not about being religious. It's about being a you know, follower of being connected to the Father. He shows that uh, we're to be givers and not takers. I mean, Jesus said the Son of Man doesn't even have a pillow to lay his head down, and yet he's willing to lay his whole life down so he models for us. There's a transformation going on. When someone sees you and says, you're not making me do anything. You're unlike every other Christian I've ever known. You're modeling for me. You're, you're, you're loving me despite myself. Now you're not saying I condone your behavior. You're simply saying I love you so much like Jesus loves me that I'm willing to hang in there with you. Well, there's a calling, isn't it? At least the number three, fishes of people. It's a new purpose in life. Jesus didn't say you'll never throw a net again. He didn't say you'll never work again. He never said forget fishing evermore. He simply said I could use guys that got skills like you have and use them not in the temple. I mean, what good does it do to throw nets inside the temple? I need people who throw nets of grace and transformation into the community. And you're it! But why the urgency you suppose, supposed to go and make and to follow and fish? Let me give you some staggering statistics up on the screen. This is from Barna's study. Why fish? 65% of the builder generation in the United States goes to weekly services, usually a Saturday or a Sunday. You know, raise your hand if you're a part of the builder generation, older than 67. We got a couple guys willing to admit that. There you go. Thank you, Paul. (laughs) How about this? 35% of the boomer generation. Boomers are like 49 to 67. I'm at the bottom of the boomers at 51. Anyone here? Boomer generation? 35%. All right? 15% of Generation X. Approximate ages 33 to, to 48. Anyone here? Generation X? Yeah? 15%. See how you're already going against the norm? Yeah? You want to write Generation Y? want to see it? 4%. 4% of Generation Y goes to weekly worship services. And according to Barna's study, only 1% of that four have a biblical worldview. Now, here's the deal. We could say with our worldly scorecards, we're terrible. We haven't done enough. We haven't done enough. Let's work harder throw more money at it. You know, let's fix it that way. Build bigger buildings for goodness sakes. Or we could say, maybe what we ought to do is follow Jesus, allow him to model for us transformation so then I can then model it everywhere else and be that net. That 4%, they don't hate God and they don't hate Jesus They don't even hate the church. We're so irrelevant to them, they don't even hate us. They look at us and say, there's no power coming out of that place. Why would I want to be connected to that place? They're they're not changing anyone's lives. But here's the deal. We are the change agent that God has created. The church is. When Jesus says, God's given me all power and all authority, and I'm giving it now to you, what he means by that is, God's given you all power and all authority. Not necessarily as individuals, because that's addition, but by multiplication, that's when we make an impact. Yes. You see, that 4%, they want to see someone's life. Why should I follow Jesus if your life, as following Jesus, seems like you don't have any hope in you? You powder, you whiner, you complainer. Why should I, give, why should I follow Jesus if you say you're following him, if I never see you invest and serve or even love somebody? You, no, I'm not going to follow See, actually we have a great opportunity when Jesus says the, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Ask him and he'll send them out. So there we want to do, we have step one is, Lord God, send me to be a multiplying agent. When that happens, it's, it's not a worldly thing that, that changes. It's a spiritual thing that changes. And then there's a turn. Jesus says in John, my kingdom or my scorecard is not of this world. And so when we look at these stats, we have to look at them with the, with the mentality of Jesus' kingdom scorecard is not of this world. We actually have great opportunities. Now what I do is I help a lot of folks see how to plant different kinds of churches. And I'm not going to go into that now. We could be here all day. But there's just a wide variety of different kinds. Don't think, well, I've got to have a church and a staff in a building, and programs, in Sunday school. That's one way, nothing wrong with that. But, but God has equipped everybody differently for different purposes. And so maybe, maybe you and maybe a husband and wife go and live in an apartment complex with hundreds of people there, all right? Statistically, a lot of those folks aren't going to church, and a lot of them aren't even you know, walking in the Spirit of God, statistically anyway. So what are you going to do? You're going to practice Luke 10. And Jesus gives us steps to how to overcome. He says, first thing is, I want you to pray over that apartment complex. I want you to walk the halls. I want you to walk around it and say, hey, spiritual squatters, you dark agents, you're gone. You're out of here. I cast you out in the name of Jesus. Isn't that what we did in worship time this morning? Moving mountains? That's Jesus' idea. You know, maybe we ought to do what Jesus suggests instead of trying to be so clever about some quick evangelism tool. Let's just do Luke 10. Because when we do that, then he says, I want you to not move from house to house. I want you to develop relationships. I want you to develop trust. People want to see that. Are you trustworthy or not? So meet people in the hallways. Greet them. Say hello to them. You know, intentionally work at doing that. Develop small groups where you just kind of hang out. You're not talking about Jesus just yet. Unless someone says, well, do you ever go to church? Then you can do it. But the point is, then after you've changed the spiritual climate, after you've developed trustworthy relationships with people, they see that they can be real and relevant to you, then you can begin to do ministry. Jesus says, heal the sick that are there. And you you can be doing, and when they see that, they're going to kind of go, wow! You Christians are not at all what I thought! And then, Jesus says in Luke 10, you can proclaim the kingdom of God has now drawn near. And my friends, you have yourself a church called Apartment. What's that? Apartment church. Apartment church, exactly. Let me end with this real quickly. Seven ways. Seven ways that you can walk out of here today. We could talk about 70, but here's just 70 ways. of uh, Being able to, as Jesus said initially, obey, become my disciple, know the truth, be set free. Why? Because you're using a kingdom scorecard. Number one, is abide in Jesus. Stay connected to him and to his word. You know as well as I do that when you start to drift, even for a day or two, a week or a month, you start getting disconnected. And what do you start listening to? The world! You can't help it because your flesh goes there right away. And when you're in the world, you've got to put up with a lot of junk. But when you're in the Spirit, now the world is not your enemy. The world is your opportunity. Number right? Number two shine into the culture. The Bible says, let your light so shine before others that they see your good works. Period? No. See your good works that glorify your Father in heaven. Go to places where others would say, I would never go to that coffee shop. That place is full of weird people and they're all crazy and, and they hate Jesus. And you say, that's exactly why I'm going to go there. Because I'm going to go there with the power and authority of Jesus to speak his peace and blessing and to bring light over darkness. And people begin to say, wow, that, you know, that guy goes to rejoice and yet he still hangs out with us. Maybe just maybe this, all that stuff I heard about rejoice isn't true. Maybe they really do change lives. All right? Number three, go with purpose. The word go is used a lot in scriptures, and I used to think it used to mean you know line up on the starting line and go as hard as you can for like two hours. This morning we're going to meet at at the Anderson home on a Saturday, and we're going to go for two hours evangelizing the neighborhood. And then when we're done, you'll be so exhausted that we'll take a couple months off from doing that again. See, we often do that as a church because we don't understand go means, in Bible, as you go on your way. As you go to school, as you go to work, as you go to the marketplace, as you go into the government, whatever it be, as you go there, let your light so shine because you're abiding in the word. People see you differently and they want what you have, right? Number four, be authentic in your faith with others. That's the criticism a lot of outside or pre-believers have to say about us. Well, they say one thing on a Sunday morning, but it certainly looks like, you know, Monday they're a cheater at work. So they're, they're conflicted by that. And now whose problem is that? We've created that problem. So be who you are. One of the best things to do is the gift of called repentance. God's idea again. Repent. I'm sorry I did that to you. You know what? I I need to make that up to you. That will do wonders for someone who feels like they've been hurt. Now they really are going to trust you. You see, it's not about being perfect, dear religious Christian. It's about being faithful. We can make mistakes. In fact, that's oftentimes how I grow, is it not? By my mistakes and letting God say, All right, Dan, I forgive you of that. Learn from that, move forward. Number five. Is it number five up? Serve the least with the most. Let the church be a giver and not a taker. Look at you know where can we make the impact the most? Serve the least with the most. You know, most churches have worked really hard at trying to please. They're congregational customers. Do you like the coffee? Does it taste good? Is the chairs soft enough for you? Is the music too loud, too soft? Whatever whatever we can do to make you happy, i.e., stay in our church inside the building. Yeah. The problem is that we're not called to cater to customers, but to equip believers. Paradigm shift. Number six. Teach others to obey Jesus. Sometimes we get so excited about someone that's new to the faith or hasn't been in the faith at all, we open up our Bibles. And again, nothing wrong with this sharing God's word with them. That's a good thing. But it's way more than just, here's some information about Jesus. And once you get enough information, you'll know. Because they're still going to look to you and say, well, I got some information, but how do I live it now? So teach them to obey by what? By obeying yourself. Remember in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them. Death, so the world doesn't own you anymore. Death, raise up, teach them to what? Obey, he says. He didn't say teach them facts. He says teach them how to obey me. Number seven, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That is a kingdom mentality that Jesus is inviting this congregation and all churches to create that atmosphere of this is all about uh, multiplying ourselves. Now, I know you love each other, and you like each other, and you like getting together. That's good. But maybe the Lord is saying, you know what? You four right there. I'm calling you not to leave this body, but to be multiplied from this body, to be deployed by this body to the other side of Minneapolis. You can still be friends. You can still get together on Sunday mornings and worship. But you four, I'm pulling you out of here because you've been equipped by this place and empowered by this place to go and have an impact on your side of the world that Lydia House can't have. Because it's, you know, Lydia, it's not about your numbers. It's about your influence. Influence will lead to greater numbers. All right. So that's our challenge this morning. Let's measure what really matters. Let's measure what really matters. As a church planting coach, and that's my new calling now, what I want to do here is begin to develop relationships, develop trust, You know, introduce new paradigm thinking, right along with with Paul here. Missional, missional, missional. That's what we're called to be. Now, if the Lord is calling you to be a church planter today, next week, two years from now, I want you to know that I want to talk to you. I left some of my cards up here. Not enough for everybody, but... Just grab one. I've got my number, my con- Maybe you just want to talk. Has God wired you to be a planter? Has God wired you maybe to be someone who can help a church planter? Are you a conventional type of person? Or would you be more unconventional to reach the more unconventional person? It doesn't matter. What we're looking to do is not, a, not create more churches, but create more disciples. And when that happens, churches will just naturally be born out of that. I'm going to have you, can I have you stand here. We're going to make a declaration together. Let's do that. A, a, a declaration together. In fact, let's, uh, let's worry the Andersons by rattling the, the roof here. Let's, structural damage of some sort. Can we do that? You don't even know what I'm going to ask you to say. And I'm going to ask you to do it by trust. Are you ready to do that? All right, repeat after me. I receive, O oh God, I receive, oh God your, kingdom your kingdom scorecard for my new life, for my new life. right here. Right now, now. for we declare by faith today, we we are victors, victors, not victims. victims. We are thrivers, thrivers, not survivors. survivors. We are missional multipliers, multipliers, not maintenance members. members. We We are discipled by your grace, not disabled by our sin. Father God, Father God, I pick up my cross, I, pick up my cross. I, follow, Jesus. I follow Jesus, and now together, and now together as, the Christ, and as the body of Christ, we change the world, change the world. Amen. Amen. amen, amen, exactly, so what God has been doing, and what God will continue to do, praise and thank you.
0: Find somebody close to you. Before I give you the benediction, I want you to find somebody near you and pray something from this word. Pray something. It may be an intention that you have. It may be God spoke to me this morning and said, I'm to do this, or I'm to pray about starting a small group. Just turn to somebody now near you. Now, I'll pronounce the benediction in just a moment, but just have a, a moment of prayer, prayer time is someone who's wholly devoted to Jesus, to following Jesus. That's what a disciple is. That's it. Turn to somebody. Pray something from this message. Find somebody else that you can pray it with. Wonderful. Wonderful. Can you stick around? If there are people that want to pray. Prayer ministers, if you can come forward. Days and weeks ahead, we're going to hear more about what God's calling us to, and how we can be fishers of men. If you desire personal prayer from someone, we've got people up front that are here to pray with you. Maybe there's mountains that needs to be moved mountains of fear that you want to you want to make an impact but there's fear in your heart Stay as long as you can or leave when you must. I'm going to speak over you words of the benediction, and then you feel free to stay or leave. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit amen what time next week